This is Mission Disco. This is Mission Disco. This is Mission Disco. A conversation about imagination, innovation, and Christian mission in Ireland and beyond. Okay, welcome everyone to another episode of Mission Disco. I'm here with my fellow DJ, Simon. How are you, Simon? I'm good. Thanks, Ross. Yeah, just saying before this, I haven't seen you for a long time. It's been a while. We're now recording this at the end of August. I think our last recording was um, well before the summer. So I know our many listeners are just on the edge of their seats waiting for this next episode to come out. So um, how was your summer, Simon? It was good. Yeah, just on that, I, th- I think we made promises to to our, our um, avid listeners that we would be uh, better at producing podcasts and try and do the once a month and we failed already so broken promises already feel like the government um <clears throat> good yeah summer has been good thanks um we were away in the states visiting family and our visiting friends stayed with friends it was really good um good breakaway change seems good to get outside the country for a while and then we went away earlier than normal so i've been in ireland for the past two months which is unusual normally we're away kind of july august so it's been good, especially with the weather we've had, even though it might be down to global warming. How is yours or how are you doing? Yeah, kind of similar to, to yours. Uh, my sister lives on the west coast of America. So we had a postponed trip from 2020 that we finally made it to, to see her and the family. So it was lovely to, to do that. Um, apart from the flying, you know, all the bags going missing and the chaos in the airport. Yeah. We turned up for our flight at 10 a.m., and uh, we're handed lunch tickets. We said, we don't need any lunch tickets. It's 6.30 in the morning. And the guy says, I'm sorry, sir. Your, your plane has been delayed till three in the afternoon. <laughs> so me and Lucy, the kids just went home and okay. had a few hours just to chill out and uh, remembered to book a taxi to get back to the airport so we didn't miss our flight. So, so apart from the chaos of the baggage handlers and the airports going crazy, we had a good time. Very good. Did it's you good. have any nightmare stories of... Um, no, not really. I think we got away just before things got busier. We didn't have any issues with bags going miss or anything like that. I've seen photos of some of those bags sitting in airports, but um, no, all reasonably straightforward, I think. Well, that's good. Which is good. Um, as we have normally have on the podcast, we usually have a guest on because Ross and I couldn't have a, an interesting conversation that would keep people going. So today in the podcast, we have Lawrence Graham, Reverend Dr. Lawrence Graham, even. Lawrence, it's good to have you on. Good hey, to, thanks. It's good to be here. Um, Lawrence has just written a book, uh, which we're going to talk to him about, um, and that was published under Praxis Press. And some people would might have heard of or, or known of Praxis Press, but this is the third book that Praxis Press have uh, produced. And the idea of Praxis Press really is to elevate and encourage Irish writers to write for the Irish Church. Um, so we've done um, podcast interviews with two of the previous authors, Fraser Hosford and Ruth Garvey Williams. Fraser wrote the book Down With This Sort of Thing, um, how the gospel is still good news for contemporary Ireland. And then uh, Ruth Garvey-Williams wrote the... Gloriously Ordinary. Yes, I have it here somewhere, Gloriously Ordinary, um, which is a great book. And uh, both of those books, Fraser's book kind of looked at culture and looked at how um, the Irish Church is working in culture. And then 
um, Ruth talked about um, kind of looking at grassroots stories and what do we learn from those stories about uh, mission in Ireland and what can we learn about those. So they were both um, great books and you could look back and listen to those podcasts, um, interviews about those two books or buy them indeed. And we had a book launch back at the end of May, I think it was, with Lawrence and with Ruth and Fraser were there also. And we did interviews with them about their books. Um, and Lawrence has wrote a book called Hope from the Margins, um, which we're going to chat to him about. Um, so... Lawrence, uh, maybe as a way of introducing yourself, I know you're a Methodist minister, you're based in Dublin, living in Dublin, you've been the president of the Methodist Church in Ireland, um, and you've done lots of other interesting things. I suppose a question just out of interest, because our podcast generally flows around or centres around mission in Ireland, and what does that look like? And I know at the start of your book, um, there's definitely a lot of um, history, particularly the early church um, from the Bible and history, the early church and, and how, what mission looked like for them right the way through. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But at the very start, you talk about it being a little bit like a history book, but your heart is for mission. And that was the important thing that it was very much about your interest in history was to guide and help us think about mission. Could you tell us a little bit maybe of your journey about mission? Because I know for, for some people, they come to faith and then it's maybe a few months later, a few years later, or 20 years later, they realize actually God has a heart for those outside the church and God mm -hmm. has a mission and how do we engage with that? Could you tell us a little bit about your journey in that? What does that look like? Has that always been a thing for you? Yeah, I, I'm actually, I was thinking about that, Simon. I'm not sure I have a journey in that. I, I can't remember a time when, since I'd become a Christian, that I didn't cop that that this was for all the world. You know, I, I think... Um, I mean, well, my dad's a minister, he's retired now, so I grew up, and he had a missional heart, you know, and so I grew up listening to and watching somebody trying to reach out to people. Um, but, and then where, where I came to personal faith was, <clears throat> when I was about 12, was in Port Rush at CSSM, you know, which is a, which is a, an outreach event, Children's Special Seaside Mission, that's what that stands for. And so, so that was reaching into the town and the, on the beaches and looking, you know, and so, I think, and then, and then my 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 uh, my real nurturing was in a youth club, youth a youth choir in Glengormley, where I was spent my teenage years, and we um, it wasn't just an ordinary youth club. We had this youth choir and a drama team. I did a lot of drama, and we went all around churches and other places, reaching out every week, two or three times. We were in different places, essentially doing mission and presenting the gospel, inviting people to meet Jesus and. So I can't, for me, there just was never a moment where, oh, wow, I need, you know, Christianity includes mission. Uh, rather, I, I think I've, I, I can't really name a moment um, where that changed. For me, just Christianity is mission, you know, and, mm. and, and, and the, the, to be a Christian is to know Jesus, but also to want others to know Jesus. Mm hmm yeah i i think that's it's it's interesting because i'm i'm not sure that's true for everyone i don't know if if everyone sees that following jesus as a disciple and mission being at the same time you know jesus calls yeah. his disciples to come follow me and make i make fish of men i'm not sure if that's always a, a thing but yeah. it's presumably shaped your ministry that scene yeah it has. Always... i honestly genuinely thinking about it i've been thinking about it the last few minutes i really can't think of a time when i felt anything else you know i, mm. I just don't see that it's an either or because you know because the whole heart of christianity is is god reaching out for us is god looking for us uh, and therefore the whole heart of, to be a christian has to be 
looking for others to find out that God's looking for them. You know, I suppose at heart, um, very much an Arminian. Let's not get into, into theology, but you know the the whole Wesley, John Wesley thing of the whole that that Jesus died for all people, that the gospel is for all, that it's for all and for everybody, and it's an open invitation. That stuff just burns in me and always has. One of the things, um, Lawrence, that I I've I've read probably two thirds of the book, um, but it's it's grounded and it's rooted in examples from Ireland and from the Irish culture, and I think that's really helpful to begin to tell the Irish story a lot more. And we'll probably touch in it in in a later stage, just in terms of um, some of those stories. But just to start off, could you describe your book in one sentence? <laughs> in one sentence, a bit of a challenge, <clears throat> but it's a, I was going to say like the, like the corny football manager, it's a book of two halves. It's not a book of two halves. It's a book of two thirds and a third. <laughs> so that's even more corny um, because it's, it's basically six chapters. The, the first four are, um, uh, the, the, and maybe that's the bit you've read if you've read two thirds, but the first four chapters are a popularization of a PhD thesis I did some years ago. And they're basically church history. Now, that all sounds very grand, a PhD in church history. I'm not a historian. The re- what got me into the history, as you said earlier, Simon, was, was because I was actively seeking to be in mission and, f- and realized there was stuff learning for me and for the church wider from the history. So the first four chapters are looking at the, not just the history of the early church, but analyzing the methods of mission of the early church, actually how they did mission. Church grew. So, and it's, so it's the New Testament period, and then it's the 200 years after the New Testament when the church was a small, marginalized, sometimes persecuted, always misunderstood minority um, in the Roman Empire. Uh, so how, and yet it grew during those two centuries. How did it grow? It's analyzing how it actually grew. Then the next two chapters are to do with the time after the conversion of the Roman Emperor Constantine. So 300, 400, 500, when suddenly the church became the center of society. Christendom started. Church and state became linked. The church began to have power and, and authority. And so obviously mission changed very much. But then during that same period, the fourth chapter, there's a whole set of people, Christians, who were outside the Roman Empire. And so there was a state church in the empire, but then there was them, and they continued to be excluded and marginalized in difficult circumstances. And so it follows some of the early Christians that pioneered to the Far East as far as China, to the Far West as far as Ireland, up north across the Rhine into the mad German pagan barbarian regions and south down into Africa and just looking at, at, at lessons. So that's the first two thirds of the book. And then the, the, then the book basically comes, skips from the start of Christendom to the end of Christendom because Christendom ended, depending on what country you live in, in the Western world, Christendom finished sometime yesterday or maybe the day before. In Ireland, maybe only in the last couple of decades, but it's over. The, the, the church has lost its power. The church is no longer at the center of society. People no longer look to the church to speak on issues. In fact, they would rather the church didn't speak at all. And so so we're getting back into that space here in Ireland where we're becoming small, marginalized, um, misunderstood. And so then, then the end of the book is beginning to tease out lessons from the early church in that context um, for us today. And all the time peppered with 
bits and bobs of my 25 years of, of ordained ministry in the, in the Republic of Ireland, in, in Longford and Cork and Kerry and Dublin. That's great, Lawrence. That's a long sentence. It's a long sentence. Can't do it. Sorry. Can't do it. <laughs> no, but it's great just to kind of get an overview, you know, yeah. of the book and the structure and just really encourage the listeners here to, to grab a copy um, because it is really helpful to have the historic grounding of the early church and, and to see the, par the parallels to, to kind of the time that we're living in now. Um, can I, I ask worth why... saying, just when I, sorry to interrupt, Ross, yeah. it probably is worth saying, just encourage the listeners uh, that when I say the first four chapters are a popularization of a PhD thesis, that sounds very grand. It's, but it, it really, I think it really is readable history. It's not, it doesn't read like an academic thesis, even the thesis, to be honest, I just can't do academic speak. But, but, the, but the book, you know, and the footnotes, there's, there's like hundreds and hundreds of footnotes, but they're all at the end, you know, you can, you know, but so the, it's all there if you want to do more research, but it's a readable script. It's not like a, a historical tome. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's very, um, it's very accurate in terms of my experience of reading that that those first few chapters. Can I ask why you wrote this book? Yeah, well, I, I wrote it for the same reason in a way that I ended up doing the PhD. When the PhD was over and I finished it about uh, uh, seven or eight years ago now, um, the, the PhD was mostly church history, with, uh, but I knew it had lessons for missions today, which I couldn't really get into in the PhD. I just hinted at it at the end of it, but I had to stick within the discipline. But I, I, I thought, there's a message here. I want to share this message. This message that the that the church, there was a time when the church was small and marginalized and persecuted and vulnerable and misunderstood, but it grew in that time. And as we're embarking into that, and as we as Christians now feel per, uh, misunderstood and, and marginalized and, and, and so on, you know, there's lessons here that for us and for our mission about how we can reach, reach out with, with the good news of Jesus that hasn't changed. And so I just wanted to beat that drum and I was looking for ways to, to how can I, you know, because the PhD thesis sits on the shelf in Queen's University in Belfast, you know, like big deal. Um, so how can I uh, share what I believe is a helpful and hopeful uh, message? And, and it sat on the shelf for a while because I explored and thought, you know what, um, uh, how do you even go find a publisher? And then I wondered about self-publishing, just never had time really. And then, um, then COVID and Praxis Press came to the rescue. So in, in many ways, the second lock, I, I did a little proposal thing and much to my surprise, that was accepted. And that was around the time of the second lockdown, the second long winter lockdown, which gave me a bit of space to put a day a week into it to try and knock it in the head, sort of um, spring 2021. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I'd imagine it was a, a fair bit of work to, and I think it's really, great that you used all that research and work that you did for the PhD and actually did something with it apart from having it on the shelf in Queen's University Belfast but actually is in the hands of other people now but it must have been a bit of work to go from from a PhD and work back through and go how do we make this popular and I know you mentioned at the book launch as well that the Praxis Press team pushed you to write that kind of final chapter or chapter and a half to um, maybe just explain a little bit about that journey. Yeah, yeah, I think they, uh, you know, I mean, the first four chapters, I didn't write them from scratch, obviously, you know, the, the, it's more a work a reworking of the stuff. So, it, it, which is probably quicker than writing that amount of stuff from scratch. The research was done, I had to retweak it and re, 
um, and then others like Ruth Garvey Williams and others helped me, you know, to to continue to hone down the language and get the academic stuff out of it. Um, but then uh, early on in the process, Praxis, as the press, as I said, accepted the idea of the book, but said, you know, we're a mission press so that we get the link between the history and the mission, but we need to spell out a bit more of the mission part of it and the Ireland, and the Ireland part of it, but tie it down to mission and Ireland. And at one and the same time, I had two emotions when I heard that. One was, yes, brilliant. I've been set free to do what I was never free to do with the PhD. And the other one was, Oh, hang on, that's a lot of work, and I have to write new stuff, you know. So, uh, but it was great, and I'm thankful that Praxis, at this at one and the same time, liberated me to do what I really wanted to do, and secondly, made me do it. Yeah, no, it's it's it, those last two chapters of that last third is it's really helpful because I think all the way through the four chapters you pick out bits, and there's definitely themes, and you see common. Um, words and common things that have happened through the church, but there's something about those last two chapters that just brings it all together, which is really. Yeah, well, that helpful. was the idea. So I'm glad that I'm glad that, that it looks like that. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, one thing you mentioned there, just to go to a few specific bits that stood out to me, you talked about Christendom there, and one of the, I think one of the sublines in either chapter five or chapter six, it says something like Christendom, Christendom's over. Mm. Um, why, why do you think that's important for us to wrestle with? Because I think to a certain extent, and maybe COVID has highlighted it, we've seen that. And you mentioned um, various things in, in history, in Irish history, and I know Fraser's touched on some of those as well. But why do you think it's important for us to recognize and accept that Christendom is over? And Because you do, you do an, you have another line there about talking about um, accept that we're on the margins and actually embrace and celebrate that we're on the margins. Yeah. How important is, is that for the Irish church? I think it's crucial because we are, the, you know, it's basically just accept reality, accept the facts, and 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 work with those facts. I think, I think for you know any model of church that wants to continue to be, um, let's give in a small town and some somewhere, any church that wants to continue to be a focus of that village, or a focus of that society, and is expecting just to, uh, the people will come looking, uh, to it looking for it to comment on their lives, looking for it to guide their morals or guide. That's just not going to happen. Any. It just doesn't happen anymore. Um, and so, so why would we not accept that that's the case? <laughs> you know, we're, we're, because if we continue trying to be that, then we're just going to continue our demise and make sure that we're increasingly ir irrelevant every year. Um, whereas... <clears throat> uh, the fact is, we're not in the centre of society anymore. So that's why we should accept that Christendom is over. But why then? But then that's another step. Why should we then celebrate that we're back in the margins? And for me, the reason for that is it gives us a chance to be essentially, and I don't mean this sounds all very pious, but basically to be more like Jesus. And basically to be more like the very early church, where it was basically all that drove them. And the only thing that mattered was this good news about the love of Christ. Um, and, and that was all that they stood for. And I think now it's going to take a while, but Christians now have an opportunity to, to reframe what we stand for, which is only the gospel, not all the stuff, not all the power, not all the, you know, so the, the, church, the church, in my opinion, is going to get smaller. It is getting smaller. But as it gets smaller, I think we have a real chance that it will get stronger. 
um, and and uh, and then we'll be in a different place to be incarnational and to share Jesus in a very different way. That won't be from a pulpit. It won't be from notice boards and websites. It'll be from people um, living life with other people. Mm. And Lawrence, as you, I suppose, as a church leader, as a Christian in Ireland, do you? does that position or acceptance of our position on the margins goes agree with you we're there it's not like we have to choose to be there does that scare you does it excite you how do you feel about that um it, it it's i suppose it's a bit of both i guess i mean there is uh you know it, it's change is never comfortable um but it mostly excites me um, because it, I think it gives us a chance, as I said, to really to reset what matters and what we're about and who we are. Um, it also depresses me in the short term, though, because it means that less and less people are hearing about Jesus at this moment than they were 50 years ago when they all showed up at church on Sunday morning. And even, you know, at least they were there and there was the people were faithful preachers were sharing good news. Do you know now that? And so that depresses me a bit. You know, there are there are there are less Christians now than there were. I don't mean less churchgoers. There's, of course, many less churchgoers. But within the church going, you know, there's less people encountering Jesus personally. Um, so that depresses me because I just want everybody to encounter Jesus personally. Um, but, but I think those of us who know Jesus uh, have a chance now to really live the way he lived and show him uh, and then that will turn around. And why do I say that will turn around? Because it, in the second and third centuries, that's what happened. You know, the, the faithful praxis, the faithful living out of the faith, in the end, changed the Roman Empire. You know? I think that's the interesting piece about this book is you, you parallel the church on the margins, early, the early first few centuries to where we are today. Just to get into a few practical kind of things that we can put hands on in, in terms of where do you see the parallels between how Christians practiced their faith in the, those early first centuries that we need to, I suppose, discover again and relearn and maybe throw some stuff off the ship, so to speak, that haven't been helpful. Um, I know in chapter six, you, you have various titles including hospitality authentic lifestyle yeah. gentle words christians caring and offering help yeah. and lots of examples on those is there any is there a few kind of highlights that you think that we really need to rediscover in ireland today um in terms of fueling and informing church and, and mission yeah, I, yeah. I think I think the core, the core. If I can go back to the, I can't help but go back to the history each time because that's what. But the core ways that the early church grew before Christendom, before Constantine, when it was small and marginalized and vulnerable, was um, the authentic Christian lifestyle of Christians in their community and their society, and secondly was the caring of the church for each other, the caring of Christians uh, for each other. So translate that now to answer your question, Ross. Um, the Christians, the, the key, because the, 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 the only way most people now in Ireland are going to encounter Christ isn't by going to a meeting or seeing a video or whatever. It's by because by somebody they work with or live with or go to school with um, is a Christian. And so that lifestyle of that Christian 
is crucial because that's the only way it can uh, authenticate the message because they don't understand the message. In fact, now it's they, they think the message is just, you know, we're, we're basically Christians are often defined by what we don't believe or what we stand against rather than what we stand for. So people need to see ordinary Christians, wherever they are, just being distinctive because they're because they're Jesus people. You know, um, and in, and the church needs to be seen as a community of love. When people encounter a church community, they need to encounter people who care for each other, who love it. I mean, the, you know, the, the early Christians, some of their critics said, you know, they, 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 there was rumors of orgies and all kind of thing because they just said, because they said, we love each other. But they did, they cared for each other. You know, right down to practical stuff that they all chipped in and did the funeral costs for somebody that couldn't afford it. And this kind of stuff meant a lot in the Roman world, you know. And they not only cared for each other, but they even cared for others outside the church. You know, there's a wonderful story in there during one of the big plagues that hit Rome. Uh, you know, when they, the Roman citizens, they copped on enough that if somebody in the house got the plague, then the best thing they could do was put them outside on the street so that the whole house didn't get it. So they just set them out in the street to die. And then they watched out the window as Christians went and tended the people out on the street. Just like, wow. Lawrence, one of the, uh, just on that, um, and Ross mentioned it there, just thinking about the authentic lifestyle. Um, it was a really encouraging part. I think it's mainly chapter six. But there's one really interesting bit, because I think sometimes as the church, we can choose one or two extremes and don't do great at doing something in the middle where we choose to serve people really well yeah. but don't talk about the gospel and then the other was where we we talk about the gospel and we preach the gospel and that's the answer to everything and we don't serve each other but there's one phrase you have in there um in chapter six and it's called gentle words yeah Could you just yeah. explain that a little bit i find that quite fascinating the way you talk about that yeah well it's it's all about it's it's because you're right about those two extremes you know and we've all seen um those extremes. We've seen a social gospel which really changes people's lives, but they never know it's anything to do with Jesus. Uh, and then we see, uh, we've also all seen the, the damage done by by preachers, you know, who, who, who a message that means nothing to people or that offends people, and because it's not and it's not backed up by authentic action. And so it, it's about gentle words. So so I am an evangelist. I, you, you know, I will always be watching for opportunities. To speak of Jesus, because I want people to meet Jesus. That's my motivation for doing it. Um, but that to be really effective, for those words to be really effective, are, are those, let me say, those words are at their most effective if they are as a result of somebody wanting to hear what I have to say because of what they've seen and how I live. You know, that key passage in First Peter is in the book there, you know, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have within you. So they, they have to see what's in you. They have to see the difference in your life and then ask. And then, then if somebody asks and you speak, you must be ready to speak, but you will be heard. You know, so it's that, it's that mixture of, um, <clears throat> of, of when to speak and how to speak. Uh, and this, so I think probably what I want to say is the speaking rarely should it come first, but 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 then when the moment comes to speak, uh, then it shouldn't be missed. Have I answered your question? I think it's a little bit like also I think you mentioned in the book. There's two images of the church. One is 
yeah. the city on the city hill, hill the and then yeah. yeast, yeast or salt yeast in, in the, the dough, right. and right. and you you kind of you kind of re refocuses on the yeast in the in the dough part, and I think that's really helpful. That maybe you know we still have the city on the hill, but maybe there's less emphasis on that now in the context that we're living and the call to be salt and light and yeast and what that looks like in our lives helps to kind of frame that a bit more. Yeah, that's right. I think that's a key distinction. You know, it, there's a quote in the book there from Frost and Hirsch, you know, about, the, and this comes back to the getting away from Christendom, you know, there is still in the church a sense that, you know, if we, and I'm not going to read the whole quote, but to paraphrase that, that the only reason people aren't coming to our church is because they're not happy with the product. So if we just get the seating sorted and, and get the music better and, and get a few things, then they'll all come back. You know, they won't. They're not looking for the product. Um, so it's about us being out, uh, showing the product, uh, demonstrating that this is a better way to live. And that links in very much then uh, with, with Ireland again and with Irish history again, with Irish church history again. Because <clears throat> the, uh, the, 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 the early Irish Christians... And that's chapter four talks a bit about them. And I've, in a recent sabbatical, just been doing a lot more studying about these guys. And um, they were seen to be different and people saw that they lived better. There's a bit in the book about when Colin Bannis and his followers were taking the gospel down through France, having left from County Down, and were taking the gospel down through France. The people they were amongst had no clue what their message was about. Couldn't understand a God of love or a, a king that didn't kill people. Or You know, that was all just... You know, but then they began to notice that when these guys set, settled in their midst, you know, that they lived different. They lived better, actually, and they, they, they had a better way of growing crops. And they grew, you know, and so, so they offered hope. And, and that meant people then wanted to listen to the message, you know, so because the gentle words there, there's also another phrase in that chapter of Oasis of Hope, offering hope, which is what Christians did uh, and what Christians need to do again. We need to offer hope in our offices, in our communities, in our wherever we are, just to show that there's a better way to live as the as society is in the shambles around us, you know, and in all the ongoing issues of our world, there's a better way to live. That's attract people will can be attractive to that. Christianity can be attractive. Because we know the three of us sitting here, we know that the best thing, you know, that our lives are so much better because we're Christians than if they weren't. And so we need to somehow demonstrate that. I think that's really good, Lawrence. And there's another part in the book that I really enjoy is you describe your experience of being a minister in rural Ireland and then moving back to urban centre of Dublin and how your methods and the way of you thinking about mission had to change and adapt. And I think there's a line somewhere in there that I just wrote down. Our methodology should move from planting to being people that incarnate yeah, that's from, right. from congregations to mission and from gathering to sending out. Yeah. Just very quickly, could you describe that? Because that's a very Irish thing, isn't it? We have a big urban population in the cities and then rural Ireland is very different. Uh, from your experience, you go into it more detail in the book, but just give us a quick snapshot over that. Yeah, it is quite different. Although I think in terms of church context, the difference is changing fast, even in rural Ireland, you know, um, but but it's it's it was yeah it's it's a case study at the end of chapter five, um, and it's from time in Kerry and North Cork actually was the main part of a town in North Cork where we 
and, and several other places in Kerry, where we started small little church communities. Basically, it began by putting up a putting up a posters around the shops in the town, meeting for prayer, praise, and Christian uh, prayer, praise, and and um, Bible study. You know, and 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 if, slowly but surely, a few people came. But it began with people who had some heritage of Christianity in some way, uh, but weren't, you know, had fallen out of the church they used to go to or had moved from somewhere else and, you know, had lost track with church. But something, there was enough in that poster that they might have come, you know. Um, and then that became a core, and so the work could continue. Then when I moved to Dublin, the church where I'm at in the city centre had begun an outreach thing in, in, in uh, a big Celtic Tiger apartment complex in Dublin 15. Uh, and it had gone nowhere. And I thought, and they'd stopped. They'd done a big bells and whistles investment and it, it didn't happen. And then I thought, I just come from Canada. I thought, well, let's just try this because this doesn't cost anything. It's a couple of pages photocopied. And we got the use of a room. We tried it for two years and it really didn't work. And I think the difference was uh, between uh, new apartments in Dublin 15 compared with rural Kerry and North Cork, there wasn't enough Christian heritage left in the new apartment blocks that people would just, because we're at this transition time. Christendom is not fully over, you see. We're still at this transition time where a lot of people in Ireland still, you know, if you say about church and Jesus, you know, they, they know what it's about. They, they at least recognize the words. Um, but that's that's changing and it's changing a bit faster, I think, in, its, in the urban places than in the rural, but it's catching up. Mm -hmm. Lawrence, just to, I suppose to come towards the close, um, I suppose thank you for joining us on this, but thank you for writing the book. And I know you'd done the PhD, so some of that work had been done before, but I know it was a bit of work to popularize it and to bring it into everyday language. But it's a really encouraging book. It's really inspiring. What you've said, just shared with us now, has been has been really good. And I suppose if there's anyone listening who would like to chat with Lawrence, I'm sure he'd be open. Uh, Lawrence loves chatting. Yeah. Sure, you can't no stop him sometimes <laughs> he'd be happy to he'd be happy to chat with you and I suppose also anyone out there listening who either has written something or is interested in writing something I know the Prax Press team are looking for for people to um, write and trying to resources and capacity is the thing that holds us back now but we'd love to encourage other people to write and I know Lawrence it was probably a fair bit of work for you to to do all this work and it was great to physically see a copy and to have a copy of it but I'm sure you don't regret the time you spent uh, writing it I'm sure yeah, no, I don't. people benefit uh reading on it so so really thank you for for that I slag you a lot but it's good to appreciate <laughs> you sometimes <laughs> oh I'm feeling a bit nauseous now Simon to be honest <laughs> um, but uh, yeah and I think too the other message from practice business I understand it is that even even if you don't feel you have a whole book to write you know maybe looking at shorter pieces or you know shorter booklets and different you know yeah absolutely yeah yeah definitely yeah, okay, so we're going to leave it there. Thanks again, Lawrence, for coming onto the uh, the podcast. Um, just to remind everyone, the book is called Hope from the Margins, available on Amazon and at all good bookstores. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, no, that's that's great, guys. I really encourage you to, to get a copy and to dip in to help us navigate these constantly changing times that we're living through and yeah. rediscover some of the hope and the nuggets that um, yeah. 
the Lord really wants to inspire us again about his mission and his church. So, thank you. Um, thank you. I, I, uh, thanks for having me. It's been a joy. And uh, I'm going to just finish telling you one wee story that I only heard a month or two ago, uh, which, which uh, you can cut this out of the podcast if you want. But uh, it's just that oasis of hope thing. It's just fascinating. Um, up on Loch Erne in Fermanagh, there's an island called Devonish Island which was a, a real Christian centre 15, 16, 14, 1500 years ago. Uh, there was a whole monastery there and an outreach and everything going on. Um, so now there's still some of the ruins are still there and there's there's grass growing all over the island. But they, a lot of those islands on Loch Erne um, are privately owned, but they're let out for grass. You know, the owner would often, so the, the farmers will rent the island for the season, you know, and move cows over and graze them. So, but apparently Devonish commands a better rent than some of the other islands um, because it still grows more grass because of the better agricultural techniques that these bearers of hope were uh, using 1600 years ago. I'm like, wow. <laughs> so, so that's hope from the margins and, that, and the subtitle Church History Informing Mission Today. So thank, thank you, you for having me. And, uh, Thank good you, Lawrence. And good job on the on the on the podcast. I listen. I've listened to them all. I think. Very good. Right. You you and six people. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just me six times. <laughs> oh yeah, that's it. <laughs> and all your family. Thanks, Lawrence. <laughs> Thank you. You have been listening to Mission Disco, a podcast by Praxis Movement. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Praxis Movement. Subscribe, like or download this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud or online at praxismovement.ie.